these are, you know, the big ones that people get into it for. That would be debt pay down, cash flow, appreciation, tax benefits, and having an opportunity to make an impact in your community. So we're going to go through all of those. Welcome to Teach Me Real Estate Investing, a show where I share my personal journey and the challenges I face as an investor. I invite industry experts to share their wisdom and advice to help me overcome these adversities with the hope that it'll help you on your own personal journey. I'm your host, Sogad Ghimire, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today we have an amazing episode and a fantastic guest, so I'm very excited for this one. In this episode, I wanted to take a step back and go all the way to the beginning. In a world where there are so many ways to invest, why did I and so many others choose to invest in real estate? There's a quote that says 90% of all millionaires become so through owning real estate. Now, I don't know how accurate that quote is, but I do know that most wealthy people tend to invest in real estate. So I want to go over the benefits of investing in real estate and why it is so powerful compared to other investment vehicles. And to discuss this topic with me, we have an incredible guest today, Jesse Dillon. Jesse, thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? I'm very good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to share some information and share some of my story. Yeah, I'm excited to hear about it. So uh, before we get into the main topic for today, where we're going to be talking about the benefits of real estate investing, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in real estate investing? Yeah, of course. So my name is Jesse Dillon. I'm based in central Massachusetts. I'm 31 years old. Um, I have been fully self-employed for the last six years or so. I um, have always worked in the beauty industry, but I branched out at that time and opened my own beauty business. From that stemmed a business mentoring program, but maybe two years ago, a year and a half ago, it started to really hit me that I couldn't physically work in my beauty business forever. And while I did have a retirement plan via index funds, it was going to take me too long to retire. So I discovered the whole FIRE movement, um, people aggressively investing in index funds, having really high savings rates so that they could fast track their retirement. And I realized it was still going to take me 11 years if I did that. And working within my beauty business, actually doing services on clients is really taxing on your body. You wouldn't think so, but you know, there's a lot of repetitive movements and hunching over. Mm -hmm. um, so on one of these podcasts, a fire podcast, there was a real estate investor and he explained how you can easily achieve early retirement through real estate in more like two years. So that was kind of the spark that led me down the rabbit hole of bigger pockets and, um, you know, finding all these different mentors, following all these different people. And only a couple months after I listened to that podcast, I got my first deal under contract. Yeah, that's awesome. So I think uh, one of the big fears, not just real estate related, right, just in general, going out and venturing on your own is pretty daunting. It's a scary thing to leave any job where they pay you and start your own business, right? W what do you think gave you that courage to take that leap and, um, you know, basically start your own thing rather than work for someone else? 
One thing that helped was the career that I had in the beauty industry. I worked for a big box beauty retailer doing education. So I would train employees on new product, how to use it, um, you know, cosmetics, skincare, everything. And ultimately, it was still a retail position. So the pay was nothing to write home about. So I didn't really have those like golden handcuffs that everyone talks right. about. Um, at the time, I was very much living paycheck to paycheck myself and my husband. And um, so that made it a little bit easier because it would have been pretty easy to replace my income. And I once I started working more on clients in the beauty world myself outside of that job, I realized just how easy it was going to be to replace that income. And it did help a lot that my husband was so supportive and still continues to be so supportive. You know, when I came home and was like, I just gave my notice and I don't have a plan. He right. was like, okay, that's fine. Like everything's going to yeah. be fine. And you know, you always figure it out. So that helped a lot. Yeah. And so you got started in real estate investing just a few years ago. Uh, what does your portfolio look like today? Yeah. So today um, I still have the first property that I bought, which was a duplex. I have two long-term renters in there and it's only about 20 minutes away from me. Um, a couple months after I got into that, I bought a single family home up in the lakes region of New Hampshire that we use as a short-term rental. And a few months after that, we weren't really looking, but we came across a really great house hack opportunity. So it's a duplex in central mass where we have a long-term tenant on one side. We live in the other side, but we also rent our guest room to a traveling medical professional. So we have a midterm renter in our side as well. So those are the three properties that I have right now, and I'm looking for the next as we speak. Yeah. Uh, and then for financing your properties, uh, how have you financed them so far? Are these all you know, money that you've saved up from earning through your business over the years? Have you used anything creative? Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, being in a high cost of living area, like real estate is definitely not cheap in Massachusetts. Right. Um, you know, when people think of investing out of state to save money, no one's choosing Massachusetts. <laughs> um, so price points for these properties were, let's see, three fifty seven, mm -hmm. um, four fifty, and $590. So those were the price points for the three properties. So I did have to get a little bit creative. Like I said, um, you know, I discovered real estate from the fire community. So I already had that really high savings rate. But um, for that first property, I actually was able to put only 10% down because I got the property at least 10% below the appraised value. Oh, wow. So the lender I was working with, who I always recommend civic financial services, um, I worked with a gentleman named Ross from that company, and it was an awesome experience. I've worked with him twice. So I used a bridge loan, and because I got it for such a good deal, I was able to put down just 10%. And then about six months later, the property value just happened to rise pretty notably, um, so I refinanced out of that high interest bridge loan into a five-year adjustable rate mortgage to bring my monthly payment down and um, bring my cash flow up. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I think not a lot of people know that. So, uh, and I myself was not super clear on that. So, uh, when you buy a property, the lender will loan, I guess, you know, depending on if you're a primary resident or not, right? Like, but typically, p- what people uh, guess is like they'll uh, people uh, they'll fund like eighty percent of the uh, appraised value, and you're responsible for the twenty. But what you did here was because you bought the house for way less than appraised value, you didn't have to come in with 20% of the down payment, right? Is Am I understanding that Correct. correctly? Yeah. yeah, so that's definitely not the case with every lender. I think it's mm-hmm. few and far between that would allow you to bring that smaller down payment just for that reason. But um, it was great because I walked into so much equity. I got the property yeah. for 357 and it appraised for 420 so I walked wow. into a lot of equity, which was really mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. And I got it so far under market because it had been sitting for a couple months. And um, I went straight to the listing agent and really built rapport with her. I did get a little creative on the other properties as well. So for that second property, I used a vacation home loan. So I got to put down just 10% for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um and then for the third property, because it is also my primary residence, I got to use an FHA loan and I was going to be able to put down just three and a half percent, but there's actually such a thing as FHA loan limits. So depending yes. on which county you're in, they'll only lend a certain amount um, depending on your county and how many right. units the property has. So I had to actually put like eight percent down. But that still beats 20% for sure. Right, right. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the challenges you face. So I want to talk about both the challenges of leaving your, you know, a W-2 job in the beginning and then transitioning to owning your own business. And then also the challenges you faced as you've gotten into the real estate space. Mm-hmm. I would say one challenge that I had in common both of those times, you know, when I left my W-2 to go out on my own in the beauty world, and then also when I decided to start investing in real estate, I experienced the same challenge both times where there, you know, were people in my life who absolutely believe in me 100%, but out of concern, maybe were overly... Uh, overly concerned, um, you know, for example, my mom... She, we're very, very close. She has full 100% faith in me. But, you know, when I left my W-2, it was very scary for her because she wants the best for me and she wants me to just have an easy, comfortable life. And she has never been self-employed. So she sees being self-employed as very risky and stressful. Um, And, you know, same thing when I started investing in real estate. It's a lot of money that you're playing around with. So, um, you know, out of concern, I didn't really have her buy-in at the beginning. And that can be challenging because when you're getting into a new industry, there's already a lot of self-doubt and imposter Mm -hmm. syndrome. And, you know, you're fully aware that you don't know everything you need to know to get started. But then on top of that, when there's people in your life who are also kind of doubting your ideas, it Mm -hmm. can bring you down and slow you down for sure. Yeah. And I guess this is something uh, I I would say it's common to uh, for most people, but uh, myself personally, this is something 
uh, I struggle with as well, right? Like sometimes the the idea of leaving your W-2 and eventually, you know, just being a full-time real estate investor, um, especially when pe there are people around you that, you know, raise all these concerns, you, you have you already have these doubts in your mind, but then it starts emphasizing those. So uh, what did you do to kind of overcome these self-doubts or, you know, these concerns that people are raising? I mean, I think the best thing you can do is just really be conscious of whose two cents you're taking. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if my goal is to build a 50-unit real estate investment portfolio, I'm mostly only going to take advice or input from people who are on their way to that goal and are a little bit farther along than me. Whereas someone who's never bought an investment property, I probably just shouldn't really take their advice or should mm -hmm. take it with a grain of salt. At least I think no matter what you do, there's going to be naysayers and you have to really protect your energy and just learn how to tune that out or acknowledge it. Um, but don't not take it to heart. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I think your story about, you know, you discovering the fire movement and then, you know, uh, this was, you know, it, it resonates with me because this is the same path that I went through. And so I remember going through all those fire calculators and calculating, okay, at my current savings rate, how many years <laughs> do I have to work until I'm financially free? And then similar to you, I discovered real estate and all the power behind it. And so I think this is a great segue to go into our topic for today of why we are so passionate about real estate and why we think it's so powerful and what it is about real estate that allows us to move that financial freedom date from, you know, yours was 11 years to a couple of years, right, which is pretty significant. Um, so if we were to summarize some of the benefits, you know, that will be, you know, that we were going to dive into, uh, what would you say, uh, are the top benefits of investing in real estate? Yeah, I would say there's five main benefits to investing in real estate. And, um, there are so many more, but I, I feel like these are, you know, the big ones that people get into it for that would be debt pay down cash flow, appreciation, tax benefits, and having an opportunity to make an impact in your community. So we're going to go through all of those. Um, and let's start with debt pay down. That sounds good. So debt pay down. Now, let's say you buy a house that's $300,000, a rental property, and mm -hmm. you have tenants in there who are paying rent. And every month, at least all of your expenses are covered. So your bank account, it's never going down for the property. Maybe it stays the same. Maybe it grows a little bit, but it's at least staying the same. Now, what's happening behind the scenes that you don't really see is that a portion of the mortgage every month that's coming out of that account, getting paid towards that house, a portion of that is principal pay down. So it's a dollar amount that's actually going towards the amount that you owe on the house because you probably didn't buy it cash. Most people do not buy properties cash. They you know, make a down payment and they finance the rest through a bank. So every month, that chunk of money that's going towards the principal owed, that's ultimately coming from your tenants, is almost like going into an invisible piggy bank for you for the future. Because every year you have this asset 
that's worth X amount, whatever the market says it's worth at that time. But every year you owe less and less on it. So if you were to sell it, you would have even less to pay off on that mortgage that you took out at the beginning and more cash to walk away with. So debt pay down is one of the biggest things. For example, with the duplex house hack that I have that I paid $590 for, um, I think right now, like we just bought it over the summer. So um, a lot of the payment is interest right now. A smaller amount is the principal pay down. But each month I get at least $600 worth of principal pay down. So maybe I didn't physically take $600 from my bank account and put it in my savings account, but I kind of had it put in this invisible savings account for the future. So that's kind of what debt pay down means. Um, and you know, then after 30 years or, or however long your mortgage amortization is, you'll have a fully paid off asset, but you didn't actually have to pay for it. You made the down payment, but then it was paid for by your tenants, which is yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And it also like as you build equity in that house, right, uh, over time uh, from all this pay down, you can actually refinance and take that money out as well. It'll increase your payments or it'll bring it back to what it was. Um, yeah, I guess uh, it would just if you, if you wanted just your payments to stay the same, for example, you'd take the same loan out and it, you'd have another 30 years You'd restart your clock. But then you get to take that money out and reinvest in other uh, other properties if you want to as well. It's pretty powerful. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people have the mindset of, you know, try and have at least one property paid off. But you don't want to let too much equity sit in your properties because in the long term, it usually does more for you if you pull it out and invest in additional properties. Right. Yeah. And I think uh, a lot of times people will, you know, there's the concept of return on investment, right? They'll put their uh, initial down payment down and then they think about how much am I getting return. But uh, I think uh, David Green from the Bigger Pockets podcast always mentions this is like you actually want to look at your return on equity, right? So if you have a bunch of equity in that house and it's not giving you as much return as it could have, if you pulled that out and bought another property, you should really evaluate that and consider, you know, taking that money out and scaling your portfolio. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Um, do you want to move on to the next benefit? Yeah. So the next one is cash flow. So I think this just builds on top of the debt pay down, right? So, uh, you know, the debt pay down is part of your um, mortgage payment, but anything that you have left over after paying all your expenses, so your expenses being your mortgage payment, your property taxes, your homeowner's insurance, and then you should keep some money aside for uh, maintenance, capital X, expenditure, that kind of stuff as well, right? After you have all of that paid off, any money that's remaining, uh, that is cash flow. Right. So as real estate investors, we're always looking for cash flow, uh, cash flowing properties so that we can use that extra cash to uh, either use as our income. Right. So we can live off of that or we can use that cash, put it back into the business, grow the uh, buy more properties, um, you know, scale the portfolio that way. Um, the nice thing about cash flow or real estate is that, you know, your the mortgage that you get in a house is 
fixed for 30 years. If you get a 30 year mortgage, right? Sometimes you'll get the uh, five year amortized uh, five year arms, which you know, your rate can change after five years. But if you get the 30 year fixed, your, ex uh, your mortgage payment, which is the largest chunk of your expenses will stay constant. But every year rental prices tend to go up, right? So even if you buy a property and it's not initially cash flowing, Maybe that's okay because in that market, uh, maybe rent prices appreciate uh, go up uh, year after year. So uh, over the time, uh, as you hold uh, real estate for a longer period of time, you know your expenses will stay the same, but your income will increase because of the rental in um, rental price increases, and then you'll 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 cash flow more and more. Uh, so that's the other benefit of real estate investing. Would you like to add uh, anything else to that? No, that's about it. Yeah, that covers it. Um, so moving on to the third benefit, which is appreciation. So if you buy a property for 300000 and you put, let's say, 30000 down, 10%, right? Every month, you're probably making a little bit of cash flow, like we said, which is great. And also every month, the debt's getting paid down. So you're putting money in that invisible bank account. But there's another thing happening as well, which is appreciation. So every year over time, averaged over time, the property is actually becoming worth more and more and more. Now in Massachusetts, for example, the average annual appreciation over, if we look back like 25 years, is something like four and a half percent. So if my plan is to hold a property long-term, like 30 years, I could say, you know, on average, I could expect this property to grow in value four and a half percent every year. Now, that's not linear. It goes up and down. There might be a year where my property is worth less than it was last year, but this is the average stretched out over time. So, you know, after you pay off the 30-year mortgage, you don't just have that $300,000 asset. Now it's worth probably a lot more. Now, some areas of the country are lower appreciation areas where you're not going to see huge jumps. And some areas, there's higher appreciation. Um, and it's pretty easy to look that up on Neighborhood Scout. That's a website that I like to use for that. But yeah, so like, you know, you're getting into a property and it's worth X amount today. But if your plan is to hold it for like 20 years, it's probably going to be worth a lot more. And you didn't have to do anything to make it worth that. But there is another type of appreciation that we call forced appreciation, where maybe you buy a house that's a fixer-upper and you fix it up. You do whatever you needed to do to it. And you just forced appreciation because now it's worth so much more. And it's typically not just worth the amount that you put into the fixer-upper, like say you spend $20,000 on repairs, it's not usually only $20,000 more valuable. It's usually like way more valuable because people pay for the convenience of it being all done, that they don't have to go spend the $20,000 separately on repairs. So this is kind of the thought process behind flipping houses. You buy a house that needs a lot of work, you put, you know, 50000 into it, but it added 100000 or 150000 to the value on top of what you paid for it. So that's forced appreciation. 
I hope you're enjoying the episode so far, and if you are, I would really appreciate it if you could give me a five-star rating on whichever platform you're listening to me on. It would help get the podcast in front of more people so that they can also get value out of it. Thank you so much. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, and I think one thing I want to point out here, which might be a benefit on its own, is in real estate, uh, it's so powerful because the investment we make is also leveraged, right? When you buy a stock, for example, let's say you buy it for $10 and it becomes $15, you've made five bucks, right? Uh, you basically have to pay $10 to own it and then you make um, you know, the extra $5. In real estate, we come in and we only put 20% down, sometimes even less, right? But whatever it appreciates, we get to pocket all of that. So it's so powerful. So if I buy a house, for 125,000, right? I put 20% down. I put come in with $25,000, right? And let's say in two years, that house is now worth 150, right? That $25, uh, $25,000 uh, equity that I put, because it appreciated another $25,000 over the two years, now I have $50,000, right? Over two years, I've doubled the uh, my initial investment. And I think this is one of the biggest reasons why real estate investing is so powerful. There aren't many other investment opportunities where you can come in and only pay a fraction of the price and own the entire asset and you get the benefits of the entire appreciation. Yeah, there's actually um, on my Instagram a while back, I did out all the math and posted a reel showing it, comparing if you were to take $50,000 and put it in index funds, with, you know, average annual growth of 10% versus if you took $50,000 and put it down on a $500,000 duplex. I did the math out with, you know, the average annual appreciation in mass, what you could expect for cash flow, how that would grow over the course of um, 20 or 30 years. And the end result was so different. The ending result for the value of your stocks was like 900000 or like 850000 The ending value for the property, including the cash flow that you could have expected, was about $2.8 And like you had said, the reason is because if you invest 50000 in stocks, the asset that's now going to appreciate for you starts the clock at 50000 but if you put 50000 down on a $500,000 house, when the clock starts, the asset that's appreciating is 500000 So you get the growth of the whole price, even though you didn't pay for it cash. Yeah. And then the next benefit that we want to cover is the tax benefits that come with real estate investing. And I don't think I know any other investment vehicle where you get so many tax benefits or any at all, right? With a stock, when you pay for it, uh, or when you when you sell your stock, you have to pay um, basically uh, tax on all the profits that you make. Whereas real estate, there are so many different ways that you can reduce your taxes, right? So the first way is uh, just depreciation, right? So the when you buy a house, um, usually uh, it there's wear and tear on it and over time it gets old and it loses value just because it's depreciating over time, 
right? And so typically when you buy a, an investment property anywhere from one to four units, uh, typically you can depreciate that over 27 and a half years, the value of the house. You usually have to remove the value of the land. You take just the value of the structure there and you depreciate it over 27 and a half years, right? So, uh, for, so even though I'm making some income in my house, I may not have to pay any taxes on that because the depreciation will offset that, right? Um, the next is the on your mortgage uh, payments, it's made up of your principal and your interest, right? And so on that interest, you also get to deduct that. You, you don't need to pay taxes um, on the interest. So when you earn money from your tenants, uh, you get to deduct the interest uh, payments that you've made. And so you don't have to pay taxes on that. And then because you're operating a business, any expenses related to that property, you also get to, um, you also get to uh, deduct that and you don't have to pay taxes. Uh, and I think the one thing I want to mention around all these tax benefits is I think there's a lot of negative stigma around it. Uh, about the tax benefits of real estate investing. You always hear, you know, oh, rich people are not paying taxes because they are using their real estate to depreciate it. But I think my mindset had, and, you know, before I educated myself, I myself would believe some of these stories as well. But uh, as you kind of dive into it, and I think, you know, my mindset has changed after uh, listening to Robert Kiyosaki talk about this, is that these are not there by accident no like these they're not loopholes per se right but they the government puts these tax benefits there on purpose because they want people investors like you and i to go and buy all these distressed properties and put you know our money into it and renovate it and make it better and make it livable so that we provide additional housing for people right? Because there's a housing shortage in the US. So the government has to incentivize people some way. And so they give all these tax breaks. So I think, you know, that's something that people need to get over and, and like, you know, really embrace that these tax benefits are there on purpose. Um, and then lastly, I think, uh, you know, I mentioned that, you know, when you sell a stock, you have to pay taxes on all the profits that you've made, right? But with real estate, you you actually get to do what's called a 1031 like kind exchange where you can sell your real estate and buy more real estate and then shelter you. You're basically kicking the tax payments down the road. But, you know, a lot of people just kind of repeat this process forever until, you know, they pass away and then they never really have to pay taxes. So that's the other benefit is you, you can kick your, basically defer your taxes to a future date and keep rolling your portfolio into, you know, either larger units or more units. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. Anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, there is another really cool tax benefit to investing in real estate for some real estate investors, and that would be real estate professional status. Mm -hmm. So if you spend a certain amount of time working in your real estate business, doing qualifiable tasks um, that the government recognizes as, yes, these are tasks of someone who is working in their real estate business, not necessarily on it, but in it, like with property management and bookkeeping and things like that, or, you know, making repairs to your properties yourself, right? If you spend a certain amount of time on that, you can qualify for what's called real estate professional status. 
if you qualify as a real estate professional, then the tax breaks that you get from your rental properties can actually be used to offset taxes that you would have to pay from other income. So for example, I own my beauty business and I usually have to pay a whole boatload of taxes from that business. But now that I've achieved real estate professional status, the depreciation and all the other tax benefits of owning my rental properties actually cuts down on my tax bill for the beauty business. So um, there are lots of other ways to qualify as a real estate professional. I will say it's a lot easier if you have a short-term rental because there's a lot of work that mm -hmm. goes into operating one of those. Um, but this is obviously something you would want to get professional advice on <laughs> from like a CPA, a tax professional right. in your state. Yeah, no, I, I, I'd like to second that. I think um, I own an Airbnb right now, right? And uh, even though I am, even though I don't have a real estate professional uh, that, uh, what what did you call it, that status, right? Um, I still qualify for setting my W-2 because um, a short-term rental, uh, it actually counts as an active business. So, uh, because, uh, so what that means essentially is any profit that I make on my Airbnb properties, I'd have to pay taxes on top of my W-2, right? Which, uh, with other real estate income, it's, it's considered passive income. So you, it's not the same, uh, category. You pay less taxes on that, but because this is an active business, um, I'd have to pay taxes on top of my W-2. But what this also means is that any losses I have in my business is also an active loss. So instead of adding to my W-2, I can take away my taxable income from my W-2, right? Uh, and then I guess, you know, this combined with, I didn't touch on this, but bonus depreciation. Uh, now they're phasing this out over the next five years. So, you know, depending on when you're listening to this, you'd want to double check these. But because I bought my property in 2002, in 2002, you were allowed to take, a, basically you have to do a cost segregation. Uh, it's a long story, maybe I'll do another episode on that. But you get to deduct a portion of the house all in one year. It usually comes out to 20 to 30%. And so because I live in Seattle, a you know pretty expensive, uh, high cost of living area, expensive market, that 20 to 30% value of my house was significant where if I take that depreciation off, it offsets a significant portion of my W-2 and reduces my taxable income by a lot. So if you own an Airbnb or any, you know, a short-term rental, uh, definitely look into, you know, tax benefits that come along with that as well. Yeah, I actually just did my first cost segregation study for last year. It was completed um, just in time for me to get my taxes done a couple weeks ago. And um, it was a great learning experience. Um, and it did have huge benefits for me. Um, and, you know, I didn't know a whole lot about it going into it. I just knew that the numbers were going to work out like, you know, the juice would be worth a squeeze. And when it was all explained to me, kind of like you said earlier, it almost felt like it shouldn't be allowed. Like it felt right. like, you know, some sneaky loophole. But like you had said, they're really not loopholes. They're plain as day for anyone to read in the tax code because the tax code just is 
written in a way to encourage people to invest in real estate because it, there's a lot of work that goes into investing in real estate. I mean, if I could go back and get paid for all the time that I spent reading books and listening to podcasts, I wouldn't even have to buy another property ever again. <laughs> there's so much work that goes into like even just learning how to do it right that the government knows that it has to be worth it. There has to be perks because otherwise no one would do it. And without small time landlords being incentivized enough to actually get into it, it would pretty much be all, you know, big corporations offering housing, um, which some might think that could be better, but many would think that could be worse for renters. Mm -hmm. Which kind of brings us to our next point, actually, the fifth benefit that we're going to talk about, having an impact in your community or having the opportunity to impact your community. So like you had touched on, there's lots of people who have a bad taste in their mouth about tax benefits and real estate investors in general. And I think when it comes to the tax benefits piece, it's kind of like a don't hate the player, hate the game sort of thing. <laughs> um but the same thing can be said for having an impact in your community. Like, you know, I know so many people who have had bad experiences with their landlords. But if you become a landlord, then you have an opportunity to be the good guy, to be a good landlord who actually cares about their tenants, who knows them all by name, who knows their kids' names, who, you know, drives by to make sure everything looks okay who answers maintenance calls right away, who manages their properties humanely and never forgets that it's ultimately a customer service business. Even if you're not more on the hospitality side, if you don't have short-term rentals or you don't do mid-term rentals, I firmly believe that having long-term rentals is a customer service-based business. And I do think that I'm short on landlord horror stories because I manage that way. Mm -hmm. So not only are you having an opportunity to be a good landlord in your community, but you also have an opportunity to make the community look better, to drive mm -hmm. everyone else's property values up for them. Because, you know, if there's a couple really crappy duplexes on the block and a bunch of really nice single family homes all scattered around them, those homeowners of the single family homes would probably give anything to have those multifamilies brought up to speed, taken better care of, because we all know that that would drive up the value of those single family homes. So you would have the opportunity to make the street prettier, make all the neighbors happier. Um, and, you know, there's just, there's such an opportunity to just manage kindly. So I think being able to offer safe housing in your community, safe, nice housing that's managed thoughtfully is pretty, pretty special. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think, uh, you know, I don't have my long-term rental. I'm currently looking for a tenant in, but it's going to be managed by a property manager. So I don't have a story there, but for my Airbnb, for example, the, the impact that I've seen is, uh, I'm essentially as an Airbnb owner, you, you need to have uh, cleaners that you rely on, right? And so you also have that opportunity to provide a job for someone 
to come in regularly, someone uh, who can, you know, dependently, dependently rely on, you know, a source of income, right? Um, so I, I feel like, you know, my I am only remembering this because my cleaner currently uh, is sick, but I, I learned that, you know, she, she um, basically she was so worried about losing this job uh, because she was sick um, that I, I realized, you know, the impact that this job was having on her and the opportunities it was giving her. And so, you know, a lot of people also have negative feelings with short-term rentals and like how, you know, it's, it might be taking housing away from some people, but it's also has some good around it as well, right? So, uh, you know, you're providing jobs to cleaners or all the people that come around my property for maintenance and stuff like that. Um, so I think that's that's the other impact that you can have in your community is provide, you know, it, it might not be a significant amount, but you're still providing some job opportunities for people. Yeah. And I mean, dependent, that's a really good point. And depending on how much you want to scale your real estate business, you might have to create a position for an in-house property manager, a full-time in-house maintenance person, um, a full-time in-house bookkeeper. So there's so many other roles that you may have to create one day. And then not only do you have the opportunity to create a job, but also to be a great boss for somebody. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of good that you can do as a real estate investor. Yeah, this this was uh, incredible. I, I really love this episode. It's probably one of my favorites. And I think, you know, uh, yeah, I just love the opportunity to share with people, you know, all the benefits in real estate investing. So for people who listened and they're like, hey, I really want to get into real estate investing. I'm excited. Do you have tips or advice for them on how they can get started? Yeah, I think the best way to start is um, to find a couple people, maybe on social media, who are doing exactly what you want to be doing in a couple years and just connect with them, you know, engage on all of their content, send them a message, just reach out and say, like, I love what you're doing. And if you have some kind of skill that they could maybe benefit from, say, you know, I do social media content creation. I'd love to create content for you for free in exchange for, you know, you answering questions here and there when I have them as I get into this. And I want to make the point, too, like if you're listening to this, which I think it'd be kind of weird if you listen to this and you're not really interested in getting into real estate. <laughs> but if you listen to this and you're like, you know, Real estate sounds like a great investment, but I just don't want to do that. There are ways to still benefit from all these perks that we talked about and invest in real estate without having to learn anything or do anything or ever answer a maintenance call. You can become a private lender. You can become a silent equity partner. You can invest in a syndication. There are so many ways that you can put your money to use in this way and reap all the benefits without ever having to do anything. And if that sounds too good to be true, just trust me when I say if you go to a real estate investors meetup and say that you have money and you need someone to invest it, you're going to be the most popular person in the room. <laughs> yeah, we're always looking for money to invest. Yeah. Yeah. So so for uh, I, I'm curious um, uh, to hear about the next steps for you. And I think this is uh, two, a two part question. I want to hear what do you have planned in the near term? Uh, but I also want to hear about your goals for the long term. You know, I know you mentioned financial independence and, you know, not having to work. Uh, 
but I, I I'd like to hear like more. What's after that, or like what do you plan on doing? Have your goals changed? Um, you know, my goals really haven't changed that much. Um, this year, my plan, and I don't like to say a goal because I feel like it makes it sound mm-hmm. optional, and this is not <laughs> an option. My plan for this year is to add fifty long-term rental units with partners. So, um, just leveraging other people's money. Like I was saying, people who know the benefits of real estate investing, they would love to have their money work for them that way, but they just don't have the time or the knowledge or desire to do it themselves. Um, You know, I'm using partners in that position with me being the active partner to find these deals. So we're looking to get into 50 units this year. And truthfully, adding those 50 units would fully retire me. I mean, I do consider myself already semi-retired because I only have to physically show up to work one day a week um, to take my clients at the beauty studio. Otherwise, um, you know, the rest of the team is there working. But um, after, after that, I mean, once that goal is checked off this year, then I'll really have to reevaluate because I know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> at that point I'll have reach my ultimate goal, right? I'll have time freedom, financial freedom, location freedom. Those are my big three. But I am so passionate about real estate investing and I love doing it so much that I definitely will not be stopping when I meet that goal, but maybe I'll take a forced break for a couple months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that forced break. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that that resonates with me. That that, you know, when I first started the financial independence journey, it was like, okay, I'm going to get there and I'm going to quit and life is going to be awesome. And then I started getting into real estate. I was like, okay, I'm going to get there and it's going to be awesome. But then now I'm like, this is really fun. You know, I I feel like I'm the type of person that won't want to stop, you know, even once I reach that point where I can retire and just live off of, you know, the rental income or, you know, any other uh, income from the real estate business. uh, I feel like I I still have this passion to, you know, continue either growing the portfolio or giving back or, you know, doing something in this space. Um, So people who listen to this episode and, you know, uh, either want to invest with you or want to learn from you or, you know, they want to reach out to you for anything uh, to connect with you on social media, where can they find you? Instagram is best. And on Instagram, I'm Jesse Dillon with an underscore at the end. Awesome. And we'll link that in the YouTube show notes as well. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram and YouTube at ISO got this. Jesse, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, This was a lot of fun. Your story is really inspiring. I hope it inspires others uh, as well. Um, And yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad I could share. All right, that is the end of today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I would really appreciate it if you could take a moment to give me a five-star rating on whichever platform you're listening to me on. It would really help my mission of teaching more people about real estate investing. Thank you, and I'll see you in the next one. 